0: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Dr. Gregory Shushan, award-winning author and the leading authority on near-death experiences and the afterlife across cultures and throughout history. He has given numerous talks on research in nine countries and appeared on the History Channel, and today we have him here to talk with us. Dr. Shushan, thanks for coming and welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So what came first, your interest in NDEs or ancient civilizations?
1: (laughs) That's an interesting question. Um,
0: My... uh,
1: uh, I guess my interest in NDEs came first because, as a kid, I was always interested in different kinds of, you know, st- strange phenomena—ghosts um, and haunted houses—and um, I had a, a book about these kind of things and and uh, like raining rains of frogs and fishes in medieval Europe, you know, just really bizarre stuff. Bigfoot, um, and these chapter that stood out to me the most were the ghost things, and then especially the one about um, about NDEs. So that kind of lodged in my head a while, for a while, and then um, I ran across the book by Carol Zaleski uh, called "Other World Journeys," and she compares medieval afterlife journey visions with NDEs. Um, and then later, I was doing my uh, degree in Egyptology, and I just started—you know—I was reading about the afterlife beliefs in, in ancient Egypt um, in the texts, like the Book of the Dead, and the Pyramid Texts, and Coffin Texts, and. I just started thinking, you know, this looks kind of familiar. These um, descriptions of leaving the body and traveling through darkness and meeting a sun god who is a being of light and these other sorts of elements, your deceased ancestors. And I thought, you know, could this possibly be, be, be um, you know, based on NDEs in some way? And thinking about the Zaleski book in medieval Europe, just the the gears started turning really. <laughs> um, so that's how I kind of ended up, you know, merging those two interests.
0: You know, you've been studying NDEs for a long time. What inspires you to keep doing so?
1: A couple of things. One is, um, you know, the NDE itself is such a fascinating and, and still unexplained phenomena. Um, the fact that, you know, formal near-death studies have been going on since 1975, um, and they still haven't figured them out. You know, any, any new uh, materialist explanation that comes up um it's very easy to to find holes in it very quickly so so that's intriguing um the fact that um it's cross-cultural is intriguing to me especially um and that's sort of where my other interest is the other thing that keeps me going in it is you know if I've um you know I've explored it in ancient Egypt there's always another culture to to start looking at it in. so for example I'm I'm just embarking on a new project now uh, a research project that's going to be take about three years um, on classical um Greek and Roman near-death experiences in relation to their afterlife beliefs and and uh, just really how they um integrated or didn't integrate ndes into their into their cultures.
0: you know, after listening to about five hundred nde reports, I feel like I'm pretty close at putting all the puzzle pieces together, but I'm not quite there, right. So at least I know I'm not the only one.
1: yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is when you start looking at the cross-cultural stuff, it opens up a whole new vista of the unexplained, basically, because you've got all these um, cross-cultural similarities, which would be familiar, familiar to anybody, like I said, leaving the body and beings of light, deceased relatives. Um, but then you've got these very specific cultural things that, um, you know, that aren't cross-culturally comparable. Um, and so it all kind of needs to be rethought of um, in those kind of terms, because, you know, in Western near-death studies, um, so much of of the theorizing and hypothesizing that goes on around NDEs are based on like a sort of stereotypical Western model, which even you know you've done looked at at least 500 NDEs and people you've interviewed, and I'm sure you've noticed that even between them there are differences. So um, the differences kind of need to be explained, and, and especially when it's looking at cross cultural sorts of patterns.
0: Do you think that we could narrow it down to just that an NDE is a personal thing and not any of them will ever be exactly alike?
1: Uh, No, I I wouldn't want to go that far. I would say that um, what it seems to me is that it's, you know, a genuine cross-cultural, if not universal, human experience, but that our culture and our minds and the way we create symbols and our cognition and whatever else... Um, whatever kinds of thought processes we grew up grow up with that differ depending on culture and individual and everything else, they kind of color the experience, um, and and kind of over not well I want to say overlay it with um, symbols and imagery and ideas that we can kind of comprehend, but I think it's even more than that. It's it's almost like um, we're clothing this kind of blank slate of an of an experience um, with those kinds of, of symbols and ideas. So um, you know, just an example is like a being of light. A lot of people in this country will say, "I saw Jesus." Um, people who are you know Buddhists in Thailand or Japan or whatever aren't going to, for the most part, say, "I saw Jesus." And and Christians here are not going to say, "I saw the Buddha." So you know, the sticky part then becomes: um, is it the same being of light that's appearing to people in these different cultures? Um, or is it some other entity or is it, you know, uh, people just ascribing these, these um, cultural identities to these kinds of beings?
0: Here's one thing that I'm working on. Not all experiencers report going through a tunnel. But for the ones that do, is going through the tunnel the act of leaving their body or is it the act of leaving this realm into another one? That's
1: a great point, because, um, yeah, cross-culturally, there aren't tunnels reported all around the world. Um, it's often entering darkness, which might be seen as like the sort of thematic equivalent of a tunnel. But it's not like architecturally a tunnel, the way a lot of um, Western people describe it. Um, I, I To me, I'm just kind of judging by the cross-cultural stuff, I think it's uh, more of the mode of... Um, uh, going from this realm to the other realm it's the kind of transportation from from uh you know this this sphere of existence to the next and partly the part of the reason i think that is because it seems to come after the out-of-body experience so if somebody is um, outside their body and they see their body lying there it's only after that that they um you know go through the tunnel or enter the darkness or whatever um one really interesting thing i found was that in small scale societies around the world um so native americans and uh pacific cultures mostly they um they don't describe going through darkness or rushing through a tunnel at all they describe actually walking along a road to the other world um Hmm. and they'll even say that they could see in in the dirt footprints of all the spirits that had been there before them hundreds and hundreds of footprints of all the many souls of the dead so um you know, again, the the theme is the same. It's access from this world to, to the other world, some form of conveyance there. Um, but it just goes to show that it doesn't necessarily involve rushing through darkness, let alone a tunnel. So they kind of, um, it's like these thematic things are are similar across cultures, but the details are very particular.
0: So does that lead you to believe that the NDE is heavily influenced on their local culture?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's created by it, but I think it's heavenly influenced by it for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Another good example is, you know, in Western NDEs, when somebody um, returns to the body and comes back to life, they're instructed to usually by the being of light or um, they agree to do it in consultation with the being of light or whatever, or with Jesus or however they describe that being. Um, And it's usually for some kind of, um, you know, positive, development of of their life or to look after somebody that they left behind. Um, they want to be able to raise their children or they didn't write the book that they were going to write or or whatever it is, a so kind of positive transformational thing. Um, but in some other cultures, especially in um, China, and there's a few from medieval Europe, there, people are sent back to their body because it was a case of mistaken identity. So um, the spirit or the, the god or um, the bookkeeper, who's the assistant of the god, will say, um, you know, actually, we got the wrong Gregory Shushan. Um, you need to go back. We're going to go get the one that, that lives in Iran or whatever. Mm. Um, and then that person will die, and I'll come back to life, and um, and I will have had my NDE and, and tell people about it. So um, so again, uh, being sent back or being told to return and returning to the body, that's universal. Otherwise, if people were returning, we wouldn't have these these accounts anyway. Uh, but the reason for it is very cultural. And to me, that's a really puzzling one, because um, why would that reason be so different in, in different cultures?
0: You're right that a lot of them are given the opportunity to come back. But then it appears that some of them are actually, in a way, forced to come back. Right. Like it's already decided for them. You have to return. You're not finished yet.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, you know, just... How much that relates to the physical resuscitation process if the person um you know is going to be resuscitated and and maybe either their subconscious knows it or these entities in the other world or whatever knows it but at some point it's like it, it's inevitable that they're going to go back um just because the doctors are making it happen basically
0: mm-hmm. that's a good point
1: um, but it's also um Another element of kind of uh, mystery and confusion because how could how could a doctor on a physical body force an immaterial substance of consciousness back into the body, um, you know, if we assume that these are uh, genuine experiences?
0: Do you mind if I take you in a direction that you probably don't usually go in?
1: Not at all, absolutely.
0: So what is popular now on YouTube is that we as spiritual beings are trapped here and forced to come back lifetime after lifetime. And even if you are given the opportunity to come back, you're really being tricked into coming back. Mm -hmm. Have you heard anything about that? And if so, what is your take on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a very Buddhist sort of take on things. um, And Hindu as well, this idea of being caught in this karmic cycle of rebirth until you can um, work it off um, or achieve some kind of enlightenment and awareness of, you know, in Tibetan Buddhism. Um, it, actually, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, parts of it really seem to describe a near-death experience um, with all the kind of elements, and they also um, explain what the experience actually is. And they they say it's essentially illusory and that it's, it's this thing that you have to kind of recognize um, which elements of that experience are illusion and just kind of focus on the clear light of pure reality and, and head there in order to reach um you know liberation from from rebirths um it does you know within that system and it makes sense and also within it is a it's a compelling way to try to make sense of life because um life isn't 100 great it's not like you know we're always so constantly happy to be here and um a lot of people in the West, I think, look at reincarnation as this positive benefit and and at least they have comfort in it because they think, Oh, well, I'll get to come back and, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be reborn in the same community with my family or whatever. Um, but in these Eastern religions, that's, you know, it's not the case. The goal is to not come back. So, um, so it's interesting to hear that that's kind of, um, happening on, um, you know, contemporary online communities.
0: Also, what's popular is what some people may call the simulation theory and it may be for our benefit or not but i wanted to see what you thought about that
1: yeah i i have real trouble with that theory um i mean some people have articulated it well like you might know uh, anthony peak um he's kind of gone through a lot of scientific literature and um found correspondences between the simulation theory and um you know ways that science might support it um but yeah, it 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 uh, pushes at my my boggle threshold, <laughs> as, as some people say. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I don't really want to believe it. It's just like intuitively, I just kind of think nah, I don't really buy it. Um, or if or if I have you know genuine reasons to to not go for it, um, it it's difficult to um, I don't get my head around it. Uh, I don't necessarily. I th- I see how the evidence can be fit. To support it, but I don't necessarily see see the evidence as pointing towards simulation theory. And I kind of feel like um you know if the matrix hadn't been made, maybe people wouldn't have been um heading in that direction, or if they hadn't been reading so much Philip K. Dick or whatever. Um but yeah I mean it is it does fit in with Buddhism to some extent that that everything's an illusion. I, I would find it more compelling to think that um once we die and we're disembodied um that's more along the lines of a simulation that this may be a collectively generated, um, realm by our own minds, maybe partly our subconscious minds or whatever. Um, I, I tend to think that, you know, what makes sense of, a, of an actual afterlife is, you know, a parallel with, with lucid dreaming, but kind of lucid dreaming together with you know uh, various other souls. So, mm. but as far as it being a physical reality thing, I don't know. I mean, the, this reality is, is so, um, So obviously physical, you know, why would we be choosing to simulate, you know, that my ear is itching right now or, um, or whatever it is, any kind of discomfort or old age and death. There's too many things about it that, um, that I don't think we would choose in a simulation if we're collectively choosing it.
0: Since you're a scientist, I'm sure that you take a, an academic or non-biased approach to NDEs, but... What are your own personal spiritual beliefs, and how have the study of NDEs affected them?
1: Well, first, I'm not so much of a scientist, more of a humanities person. Um, I mean, I did I did archaeology, which is which is a science, but it's also a humanities science. Um, but I've done most like kind of religious studies and comparison of myths and things like that. Um, so, as far as like the hard sciences of NDEs of people like like Bruce Grayson or whatever, that's not really my realm so much but um yeah that's a really difficult question to answer i i kind of feel like um i'm you know there's a a title of this um medieval christian spiritual book called the cloud of unknowing and i feel like that's kind of where i reside (laughs) you know I, i just kind of um i feel more or less comfortable not knowing either way and and i don't really have enough information or knowledge to to believe in something and i guess i guess that's the thing i don't really understand belief as opposed to knowing something or not knowing something i've I've never i didn't grow up with any kind of faith or anything like that so um so i've never really struggled with that sort of thing but and i think in a way that's enabled me to kind of keep this center kind of view with with one one foot in each camp Uh, but at the same time i also feel like um it's totally reasonable to believe in an afterlife given um the evidence from ndes and and also from uh, reincarnation studies and mediumship and things like that um i wouldn't you know ever judge anybody for believing in them or think that they're they're crazy or um they drank the Kool-Aid of religion or whatever um there's perfectly rational reasons to to believe in it and and i kind of i guess i guess in a way it's made me feel like um you know if, if there is an afterlife um there's nothing to be afraid of you know there's no no part of me at all that's that's afraid of what could possibly happen when i when i die um, other than the process of you know the pain and the suffering and um you know losing my memory or whatever happens as we age those kind of things are are not pleasant to think about but once um you know once my body's dead i don't think i i don't have an issue with that um and, and even if you know, even if there is no afterlife, um, obviously there's something going on in our brains and consciousness that are making us think that there's going to be. So, so we might have this amazing NDE type experience and feelings of transcendence and meeting this, um, our ancestors or parents or divine being. um, And that might be our last memory, you know, so it might be this just this wonderful consolation prize for dying. Um, But at that point, doesn't really matter, because we won't know anything anyway.
0: One of the things that I find most compelling about NDE reports talking to people is that a lot of people, right before they would experience a tremendous amount of pain, they leave their body. For example, like right before they get hit by a car, they're already out of their body before that happens. Mm-hmm. Have you come across anything like that in the studies of ancient NDEs? Uh
1: you know, I don't think I have, actually. Um, no, I, I sort of focused more on um, the sort of criterion I was looking for as if they died and went to some other realm, mm-hmm. left the body and, and went to another realm. I, I can't recall any spontaneous out-of-body experiences that didn't involve e- either a near, full near-death experience or like a deliberately induced shamanic one where they... Um, you know either th- through some kind of ritual like uh extended dancing and chanting and drumming or or taking drugs or whatever that they were able to leave their body and and travel to to other realms um but yeah as far as that goes i don't think so what i have run across is quite a few um especially like in the 19th century examples of people who um either were thought they were going to die because they were they thought they were going to drown or they fell off a cliff um and on the way down or or during the process of they're rescued um, they have like a full um, life review uh, sometimes an out-of-body experience that's brought on by by the fear of death by thinking that they're going to die rather than being actually physically you know temporarily dead or, or compromised to the point where they're they lost consciousness and that's interesting because um you know some people call those fear death experiences because they're brought on by by um obviously a psychological process rather than um than a physiological one so whether that would support ndes being real or not
0: I guess you could argue it either way I like that term fear death experience yeah I've never heard that before
1: yeah I think it's a useful distinction between um between ones where you know people are clinically temporarily dead um or you know with with the ancient or, or you know a lot of the cross-cultural examples we can't know if they were temporarily dead we only have to You know, go. We only can only go on what they consider death, which might have just been unconscious during an illness.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because there are. I've seen reports of people being clinically dead and then exactly like what you're saying, being pretty close, but they still have that near death-like experience.
1: Yeah, like there's a there was a 19th century German or Swiss study. I can't remember. I think it was Swiss, um, of mountaineers who fall from great heights. And, you know, they might have broken a leg or something, but they were never really about to die. They were just terrified <laughs> on that, you know, 100-foot drop or whatever it was. And on the way down, you know, something kicked in to to generate a near-death type experience. And it seems like um, life reviews, in particular, are um, characteristic of those kinds of experiences. Whereas, I don't know if you found this in, um, in all of your interviews, that... Um, uh, life reviews are actually not that common, at least in the cross-cultural stuff. There's always some kind of evaluation of your life, you know, either like um, some spirit, you know, has keeps a record of all of your good deeds and bad deeds, or um, there's some kind of, um, I don't know, discussion of, of what kind of life you lived, how pious you were, or whatever. But as far as like a full-blown panoramic life review, like we think of in, in kind of popular ideas of an NDE, they seem to be really rare across
0: cultures. I haven't actually taken the numbers on it, but it's true that not all of them have that. Right. But some of them have, and I think one of my guests gave me the term, and that is a life relive. And what he or she meant by that is when they're going through the life review, it's almost like they're reliving the life or re-experiencing it.
1: Right. Yeah. And I know some of them also say they experience it um, including the emotions of not only that they experienced, but that other people experienced as a result of their actions.
0: Yes. So
1: um, a lesson in empathy, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That seems to be totally absent in the cross-cultural stuff. Um, and there's an interesting um, theory about that by uh, Australian scholar Ellen Kelly here. He was one of the first people who started looking at uh, cross-cultural NDEs. And he theorized um, that because a lot of these Societies are more community-based, and the the individual is less important than in our our society. Um, that they wouldn't really be primed to have like a personalized life review because everything's about the community. It's not about them. It's about um, you know whatever's going to benefit everybody. So um, so that makes sense, but it also raises the question of um, you know to what extent are those experiences actually real. And and to what extent are they generated by our culture and our expectations and religions or whatever else?
0: It appears that the majority of people who have them feel like they weren't being judged during Mm -hmm. their life review. They're like, review what happened. And some of them may even say that now they're looking at it from a different viewpoint and some of the choices they made weren't necessarily bad. Yeah, I think that's...
1: I've I've noticed that too. Um, and, and have you, um, have you gotten any sense of, um, whether life reviews happen in certain kinds of near death experiences, um, like sudden death or, um, or the fear death experience or anything like that? Or,
0: you know, I'm guilty of not taking notes.
1: That's (laughs) That's what I should be
0: doing is taking notes of every NDE, but I, I have a daily show and it's hard enough just to get yeah. a, a video out every single day, but I really right. should yeah, be Sorry
1: doing to put that. you on the spot. No, that's
0: okay. <laughs> not at all. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm, I don't feel like I'm on the spot. I was checking out your website and what I thought that was really cool on your blog is that you have like a historical NDE of the month or something.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. I have that every month Um, on my Patreon page actually, but it's, it's free to anyone to see. Um, And I just, yeah, I just try to kind of find. Um, the most diverse ones each month. So last month it was um, a couple of ancient Greek NDEs, and this month it was um, a French actor, um, Daniel Galen, um, who was in a Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Man Who Knew Too Much, and um, he had an NDE in 1971. Um, you know, four years before anybody knew about NDEs really in the West uh, before Raymond Moody's book was published, um, and that's pretty interesting. He um, he, uh, you know died in the hospital during a cardiac arrest and went to the other world and was horrified um, initially at the experience. You know, he was full of fear and and terror, and he didn't want to leave this earth and and his family and everything else. Um, But then when he got to the other world, he saw his mother and his father and um, his child who had died um, as a baby, like at the age of 18 months. and so he was so happy and overjoyed to be there. Um, and there was, you know, amazing light and all the other kind of, um, you know, joyful kind of feelings and experiences. Um, and then he starts um, feeling like he has to go back um, and he's rebelling against it. So so first he was rebelling against going, then he's rebelling against going back, which was really interesting. It was just like this, just in a few pages, the shift of his um, whole attitude towards towards death and dying. And, um, yeah, and he was pretty upset to to have to go back, actually. Um, but another interesting thing about about that one was um, it seems like some of the things that were coming into being during the NDE, he was kind of bringing them into being through his own consciousness. Like, so he said um, he saw dust swirling around and it made him think of stardust and then suddenly there were stars overhead. Um, and then... He, when he first met his mother um he, he then thought of his father and his father appeared um but then his father disappeared and his mother remained so it was almost like his mother might have been an actual entity that he was meeting in the other world but maybe some of the some of the rest of it was just kind of conjured up to make him feel better about his death that he was going to see his, his father and his baby and everything else so it's um yeah just going back to the early question of like you know what keeps me interested and compelled in it. It's like those kinds of puzzles is just this constant, wait, what's going on with this one?
0: (laughs) Quite a few of my guests will report that once they're back, they're either depressed because they don't want to be here or they're angry because they, again, they don't want to be here. Yeah. Have you seen that in any of the historical accounts? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really common thing. Um, Reluctance
1: to return to the body is, is really common. Um, there's um, quite a few examples in Hawaii and other parts of, of Polynesia, actually, where the spirit is um, has to be forced back into the body, and and for some reason they they say that they're forced back through the big toe. Um, <laughs> they they leave through this part of the body and they enter back through the lower part of the body. Um, but they will describe things like um, you know I saw this thing lying there and it didn't seem like me, which is um, you know reflected in a lot of contemporary NDEs. They're they're just disgusted with the idea of getting back into this like cold, repulsive thing of flesh, you know, Um, and they're resentful and and uh, yeah, angry that, um, you know, they were forced back in by by the spirits of the other world. And and I think that's that's a good thing to mention, because I think as far as like near death studies go and the grace and scale and things like that, um, it's it's maybe something that's been overlooked a little bit, It maybe deserves a little bit. more highlighting that the reluctance to return.
0: It's interesting that you're using the word forced again as yeah. being forced to come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's really the, you know, the feeling you get from,
1: from reading them. Um, and yeah. And, and why, you know, <laughs> I, I wonder how many, um, all the ones we don't know about, um, might've been people who, who said, no, I don't want to go back. You know, that might account for a lot of, you know, they say what, 15% of people who, who come close to death report NDEs. So the other 85, you know, did they, who knows what
0: happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you've covered a lot of NDEs in your lifetime. What is your favorite?
1: Wow. That's a really difficult question. Um, you know, some of them, um, I, I find really interesting because they're so idiosyncratic and so different. Um, and some of them I find really interesting because they're so easily relatable to a contemporary Western nde so um and then some of them because they have you know a really kind of almost you know supposedly evidential um component where there where the person uh you know brings up some kind of prophecy or something that happened during the NDE that, that proves that it was correct so um an example of that is uh there was a a mormon guy named walter monson in 1923 and um he had an nde and during it he saw his young daughter who died when she was eight years old or whatever and she told him um no we it's not your turn yet first we need to take richard and richard was the little girl's little brother so the guy's son um then we need to take grandma and then we need to take mama and so he um you know He's all upset about this, and he comes back to life, and he looks at, at Richard, and Richard is so happy that his dad came back without knowing um, this prophecy. And then, sure enough, um, everybody in his family died in the exact order that his daughter told him that they would um, in the afterlife. Um, there's another Mormon one, a 19th century one, about a woman who meets the spirits of two little girls in the afterlife. And she's asked if she would like them to be her daughters and she says yes and then when she comes back to life she gets pregnant and um successively gives birth to these same two little girls that she saw in the spirit world um those kind of things are are pretty amazing to me um some of the really idiosyncratic ones are amazing like there's there's one um a melanesian culture called the um uh people a guy had an nde where he um, climbs up a ladder, and there, and the ladder's up against the side of a house, and he's looking inside the windows, and there's like all kinds of industrial manufacturing going on, and then he um, and there's children above him on on levels like on canopies, and then he um, goes inside to the house, and it's floating in space, and then he's there's a judgment that's done by uh, some kind of like mechanical apparatus with like these huge weights. Um, so, I mean, it's just a really kind of um, bizarre thing, but then you've got the some of the typical NDE elements as well, you know, the, the evaluation of, of himself, um, and he leaves the body and he's traveling from one part of the world to the other. Um, so, yeah, th- those are pretty interesting. And then um, one of the Polynesian ones uh, that I mentioned, uh, th- this woman named Kalima, who was a Hawaiian woman, She's the one who was forced back into her big toe, and and found that her body was was repulsive. But her description of the other world and of meeting the spirits there um, was just, um, you know, it, it was just so filled with the same kinds of um, awe and and you know loving kind of descriptions that contemporary NDEers have, and it, so it kind of really stands out in in that way.
0: I've had one NDE case from Hawaii of a Hawaiian man that during his NDE he encountered some ancient Hawaiian king or something like that.
1: Wow, um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and he's a he's a guy you interviewed,
0: right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that would be really interesting to um, compare that with some of the 19th century ones that I found, because um, yeah, they they do um, encounter Hawaiian kings and deities and. Mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and it, they seem to be, in Hawaii, particularly open to NDEs. I found you know more there than I would have expected, considering it's, it's not a huge geographical place or hugely populated. Um, and in fact, that seems to be a, a Polynesian thing in general. They're, they're pretty open to NDEs. And a lot of accounts where they actually say outright, um, you know, this is why we know what the afterlife is like, because this particular person went there and came back and, and told us. Um, and then other people would have NDEs and they would come back and fill in some of the gaps and confirm what the other person said. So it's like this uh um you know continuous kind of experience based belief in an afterlife, which is you know really interesting.
0: Do you think that generally all ideas of the afterlife come from NDE reports?
1: No, I I think um and in fact that's that's an interesting cross-cultural comparison from my my second book. It's called um near-death experience in indigenous religions and i looked at um native americans uh, cultures in the pacific and cultures in africa and native americans polynesians and melanesians um all there's there's um you know statements that they actually base their beliefs on on ndes and um, there's lots of shamanism there's a lot of myths about people who travel to the other world and come back um, but then in much of sub-saharan africa and micronesia and australia there's there are very very few ndes and this corresponds with beliefs that don't um correspond to, to nde kind of themes um, and in fact instead they have myths of like um a, a lizard and a duck go to the afterlife it sounds like a joke but like it started <laughs> basically you know two animals go to the afterlife and they get each is given a message from the God. Um, one says um, people will come back to life when they die. The other one says everyone will stay dead. Um, and when they come back, it's like a tortoise in the hare kind of thing. One of them gets back sooner and therefore delivers the message to the people that you will not come back to life. So um, so they have myths about why people don't have NDEs, basically. Uh, and then they also have burial practices that, that would really prevent anyone from having an NDE. They'll um, you know, pile stones on top of graves. Um, they'll they'll tie people up in, into, you know, they'll tie their feet and, and uh, legs together before they bury them. Um, and that's partly because they don't want them to come back because they think that um, it's not the person having reanimated their body. They think that they're possessed by uh, some kind of evil spirit or they've been brought back to life through sorcery um, and that's, that there's not even a soul in there. It's basically a zombie. So so the idea of coming back to life is, you know, a potential threat in a lot of those cultures, and so they didn't um, integrate NDEs into their afterlife beliefs. Basically,
0: we've talked about this subject a couple times on the podcast, and I'm not sure if you've looked into this or not. But if so, what are your thoughts on Paul having an NDE while being stoned in Lystra?
1: Well, there's the account where he's where he says. Um, uh he, about talking about a man he knew who went to another realm and he says whether in the body or out of the body I don't know um uh i mean a lot of people say that they think that that was actually Paul that he's he's you know talking about himself but um you know acting like it was somebody else um if he was referring to to the incident of being stoned then yeah that could make it an nde but I don't think that, that those two things are explicitly connected when he talks about the man he knew who left the body or who who went to the other world. So I wouldn't necessarily say it was one, um, just because when he says that, he doesn't necessarily say that the, the guy died. Um, but yeah, I think it could be. But to me, what's really interesting about um, Christianity um, is, you know, the entire religion revolves around a man who died and came back to life. But there's nowhere in either the Old Testament or the New Testament where there's an actual near-death experience. There's things where people come back to life like Lazarus, but we don't know what happened to him from the time he died to the time he came back. We don't know what his consciousness was doing during that time. So, um, But as far as Jesus goes, there, there, there are apoc- apocryphal texts. Um, there's one called The Harrowing of Hell, which um, purports to explain where Jesus's consciousness was while he was entombed before he came back to life. And basically he, he descends to the other world underworld willingly in order to free the sinners and kind of, um, you know, uh, benevolently um, help the people who are down there suffering. And then he comes back to life, but why this didn't make it into the, into the new Testament, I think is really interesting. And um, I speculate that it's because it didn't fit in with the theology of like the only way to God is through Jesus um because it actually what it, what it would suggest is if you can die and come back to life then that means anybody can access God directly without having to go through Jesus um so I think it kind of rubbed again rubbed the wrong way with Christianity but um with Mormons they're really um welcoming about NDEs because their whole thing is anybody can still access these kind of divine states because you know of course their founders did that in in relatively recent years in the 19th century. So so NDE support with, um, the idea that people can still have divine revelations and these genuine spiritual experiences of, of God and Jesus.
0: Some of my near-death experiencers report on either seeing extraterrestrial beings and going to other planets. Have you come across that at all?
1: Not explicitly. And, and I would think that in the ancient texts and the um indigenous society texts that they would have seen if if such a thing happened they probably would have interpreted as gods or divine beings i i don't want to go to the ancient spacemen building pyramids theory but it's you know if if there was a, an experience like that it, it would make sense that they would see them as as divine beings rather than physical aliens from another planet like like we would um that's funny. I'm I'm teaching a, a course now on on a on near death experiences, and one of my students, the the example I mentioned earlier about the um, the Kauai native who who went into the building which was um, revolving in space, um she she said that made her think of a spaceship, and I thought that was really interesting, um, because yeah, there there do seem to be some some parallels, and, and I know some people even suggested that it's the same kind of experience, and that maybe um either an alien abduction is is a you know the way a person a particular person might experience an nde um or ndes might be um, related to to aliens um and i know people who do take uh, like things like ayahuasca have have those kinds of experiences as well as well um i don't know i i struggle with that too um i i think that um i don't think uh ndes are necessarily related to anything like that what makes more sense to me is is uh, you know the first option i mentioned mentioned that um some people experience ndes as as an alien abduction if any i wouldn't even necessarily argue for that that it's the same kind of experience um i kind of think it's more related to, to sleep paralysis um which which happens when um it's like a, the twilight state between being awake and being asleep either when you're just falling asleep or you're just waking up and your your mind goes into this um, they call it a, a hypnagogic state where, where you're it's it's not quite a lucid dream but i guess it's related because you're awake and conscious but um, what's happening to you you don't feel like you're dreaming you feel like it's it's a real reality um, and that often involves some kind of malevolent presence around you um, being held down and you feel like you can't get up you can't scream for help and it's yeah this this presence is usually kind of uh you know doing bad things to you um and holding you there and and it can also be accompanied by other kinds of um you know uh dream imagery which which would support you know alien stuff there was a um scholar david hufford um who who kind of discovered sleep paralysis and and the reason it's interesting and relevant is that he found that it occurs cross culturally um you know, sleep paralysis is found all over the world there's a famous painting um of, of fusilli made of um this little uh, it was used on the the cover of the film uh, uh the movie poster for the movie gothic in the 80s and 90s and there's like this little demon uh sitting on sitting on a woman's chest and then there's a sort of demonic horse in the background and that scene is like a, a depiction of a sleep sleep paralysis uh, in Japan, it's seen like a certain kind of ghost in a Newfoundland, it's seen as an old hag. So, you know, the, the point being like there's this objective, apparently supernatural experience that's happening around the world, but people are um, interpreting it in very kind of culturally specific ways. And it has, um, that particular one has a, a physiological origin, it seems.
0: What is pretty common with the guests that I talk with is that after their experience, they have some new type of ability that they didn't have prior, which would be possibly considered psychic-like. Do you find that in the ancient writings?
1: Yeah, you do. Um, It's often in the form of um, healing. They were given knowledge in the other world about where to find a particular plant that would heal their people of a particular disease um or they've they come back with supernatural kinds of healing abilities uh sometimes it's a it's a more unusual skill like there's a medieval account where um a young boy comes back with um omnilingualism which is the the ability to speak all languages um none of which he, he knew before that um there's a native american one where um the the guy is uh basically illiterate when he has his near-death experience but when he comes back he can read and the point of that is it was a Christian um, experience to you know convert him and so he was able to read the Bible when he came back God gave him the ability to to read the Bible so he could convert people to Christianity um and again it's it's less to do with um personal things and it's more to do with things that will will help the community.
0: I'm not sure if you're aware of acquired savant syndrome. No. If not, then basically when someone has some kind of neurological impact or injury, it resolves in them usually having the ability like a savant, like they become fantastic at music or at painting, or they can, you know, like drop a box of toothpicks like in Rain Man and just look at it and know how many are there. So I kind of feel like that after the NDE, it does have some kind of impact to our nervous system, and that's why people are getting these abilities.
1: Yeah, that would make sense. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, because on the one hand, it makes sense. But on the other hand, um, people are having NDEs for so many different reasons, like we, we talked about, and mm-hmm. some of them are not even physically near death. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, why... why um, Different types of NDEs that result from different kinds of um physical, you know, being physically compromised, why would they result in in similar kinds of brain transformations? I think would have to be explained um and you know that might point to the idea that something spiritual really is happening and that they're um, you know, actually getting these abilities through some kind of you know, paranormal means.
0: I would assume that at least the ones that it seems more Evidential. they'll report what's going on in the, in the hospital waiting. I mean, in the emergency room or right. all the people around their body while they're, you know, watching people trying to resuscitate them mm-hmm. that maybe at least those would have some type of change in their consciousness or something, mm-hmm. you know, rewiring of their brain, even perhaps that would give them these new abilities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Um, I think the the ones that impress me the most are people who meet a spirit in the afterlife of somebody who they didn't know had died, and then they come back to life and find out that the person had just died um, at the same time they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know it's you know those are technically seen as anecdotal accounts because they're not scientifically replicable in a lab, but I don't see any way to explain them other than to say they made it up, which is you know not really the the best approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those accounts also occur cross-culturally. There's, um, there's an ancient Chinese one from around 800 BCE where um, he's a kind of local governor and he dies and goes to the other world and he meets um, the emperor of heaven and standing next to that emperor is a little, is a child. And various other things happen in the NDU. That's, some of it's pretty surreal. But then later in life, he's walking along a road and there's a man standing in his path and he tries to move, and the the guy won't let him go by. And he's staring at him like he knows him. Um, and he says, "I saw you in a near death experience uh, when I was a little kid." <laughs> so, I mean, that's whether it's true or not, who knows? Because it's you know over a thousand years old, but it's a pretty amazing type of experience. And and just the idea that this theme can occur from you know over thousands of years is pretty amazing. Because very similar things happen in contemporary NDEs.
0: Have you seen the movie What the Bleep Do They Know?
1: I have seen that, yeah.
0: One of the producers of that movie was my guest. Mm -hmm. And one of the most fascinating things she told me was that she had some type of of out-of-body experience. And during the experience, she happened to notice she saw this homeless man that lives on the street that's schizophrenic. And anyways, the next day, she happened to be on the street again and she came across that homeless man out there and he said, I saw you last night. Wow. So it makes me wonder, yeah. you know, are schizophrenic people really somehow cr- you know, crossing these realms? And yeah. that's what's making them you know, have so much trouble or or being classified as schizophrenic.
1: Right. Yeah. Maybe some barrier in their brain isn't um, functioning the way it does in in Mm -hmm. other people. And there's that idea that, um, you know, death and especially the life review I've seen explained this way that um, it, uh, it breaks down all those um, barriers and inhibitions, all the, all the physical things that are containing our thoughts and once we're liberated from that, then, you know, all the stuff just kind of floods out, including a life review or whatever. So maybe something like that is happening with with people who can access these, these other kinds of realities.
0: You have many books written, and I think you have one coming out soon. What's the title of that book?
1: The, the second book I mentioned, um, New Death Experience in Indigenous Religions, that's going to be out in paperback soon, which is is long overdue. It was a very expensive academic book <laughs> um, when it was an hardcover, and now it's going to be you know, accessible to people with reasonable incomes. Um, I'm also um, in the process of rewriting my first book, um, which is going to be now called Near-Death Experience in Ancient Civilizations, and that's going to be out um, next year from, from Inner Traditions. Um, my newest book is called The Next World, and that kind of um, draws together Um, those studies, and also brings in mediumship and reincarnation and various other aspects of of NDEs and how we might be able to draw together um, all the similarities and all the differences um, in a way that makes sense if there really is an afterlife. So it kind of talks about um, metaphysical, philosophical models of what an afterlife could actually be like, in light of all these kinds of experiences. Um, I'm also working on a historical anthology of NDEs, which is just going to be, you know, basically all of the evidence I've been able to to compile over the last 20-something years, Um, the actual verbatim accounts translated in a kind of, you know, a handy book form. Um, That's a long-term project, but I'm hoping to finish it by the end of the year or something. Um, And as I said, I'm I'm now kind of embarking on this um, near-death experience in classical antiquity um, project which uh, but that'll be a while before that comes out.
0: After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you up for that?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um you know, I'll, I'll look at I can answer them either in the YouTube video or you can contact me through my website which is just gregoryshushan.com. Um as I mentioned, I have a Patreon page and that's also just under my name and I'm on all most of most of the social media under my my full name
0: what's the name of your YouTube channel
1: well I was thinking your YouTube channel oh okay
0: answer, yeah. oh, there you go all right <laughs> <Yeah>. no problem <laughs> um
1: yeah I just I don't have a full YouTube channel because I don't actively do it but I have a playlist if people want to see um you know other other interviews and stuff I've done and, okay. and that's just also under my name
0: all right do you have anything else you're working on that you want us to know about
1: no I think that probably sums most of it up well actually no I, I I'm I'm Slightly off the subject of NDEs, um, I'm editing a anthology of, um, or rather, a collection of writings by by William James, who was a, a 19th century sort of pioneer in psychology, but he was also a, a psychical researcher. Um, so I'm putting together his um, most interesting psychical research writings from the 19th century, a um, couple from the early 20th century, um, and he he wrote on everything from uh, mediumship to um, possession and um, things that at the time were not really considered fully psychological. They weren't sure if they were parapsychology or psychology, such as phantom limb syndrome, um, which is pretty interesting that um, there was this borderland between the two disciplines that that hadn't worked out. Um, uh, yeah, and that's called uh, Mind Dust and White Crows. That's going to be out in a couple months.
0: What is the oldest NDE recorded in history? Uh, that,
1: that would depend on uh whether we accept it's a it's an actual NDE or whether it's a myth so um the oldest is probably um do you, there's a, a mesopotamian uh, epic called the, the epic of gilgamesh which a lot of people might have heard of uh the sumerian version that preceded that um it has is a similar collection of texts a lot of them overlap but there's a few that don't, and the king is called Bilgames in 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 uh, Sumerian language, um, and that's going back to sort of 1800 BCE. And there's a a description where this king, um, I mean, it's presented as a myth. It's it's mythological writing because they didn't have ways of like they didn't have a genre of writing about non non-fictional near-death experiences. So it's the story of this king who who dies he's lying on his deathbed and he goes to another world uh, the underworld and he meets um the sun god whose name is utu so a being of light then he meets a, a panel of judges and they review his life and they they talk about um you know all the the good and bad things that he's done in his life and then they determine based on on his life um that he's going to come back to life temporarily get his affairs in order and then he's going to spend half the time in the heavenly realm and half the time in the other, in the underworld. Um, so there's various things about this that, that correspond to NDEs, but then it's also very kind of mythological. Um, but the first one that was presented as an actual historical document was the ancient Chinese one I mentioned where um, this local governor um, meets the emperor of heaven and, and sees the child and, and that's later verified. And that's about 800 B.C. The interesting thing about the, about that and a lot of the Chinese ones is they end with statements that say, um, you know, my knowledge is, is all entirely true and I heard it from the person it happened to. And this has been formally lodged with the local authorities. And um, so they're really um, concerned with it being taken seriously as, uh, as evidence for an afterlife and that these things really happen.
0: Are most of the reports from NDEs in ancient history coming from myths? dream stories or what
1: yeah that's a good a really good distinction to make so for example i mentioned e- ancient egypt at the beginning um there are no near-death experience accounts from egypt um what i was doing um was trying to you know looking at the afterlife beliefs of all these ancient civilizations and trying to compare them to ndes to see to what degree they correspond especially if we look at them as thematic rather than you know specifically meeting the sun god or whatever if we just look at it as being as a being of light um so uh yeah so f- for the sumerian stuff um f- for the egyptian stuff it's all ritual religious texts which are you know instru- instructions basically for what the deceased is supposed to expect in the afterlife so it's descriptions of the afterlife intended for for the person who's going to be going there um the sumerian texts are, are myths and probably also had a ritual function um it's really the not until the Chinese ones that we get, you know, actual documentary historical stuff. In India, there's quite a few um, that, that might be on the borderline. Um, they, they seem to um, read a lot more like near-death experiences and they involve humans instead of gods and things like that. Um, and then in um, Mesoamerica, there's an Aztec, there's two Aztec ones that, that happened to, um, to women around, you know, 15th century, um, which are, again you know put in a in a historical kind of context they were reported by uh by local people to the um missionary that um, was was uh, responsible for rec- recording all of their beliefs so um so yeah it depends um the only ones that i i consider actual near death experiences are the ones that are claimed to be historical so the the mythological ones and and the ones in religious texts i would see as Parallels or analogies, or possibly um, inspired by or rooted in a near death experience sometime in the past. Um, But because of that context, they wouldn't go as far as to fully call them a near death experience.
0: As an Egyptologist, why do you think they were under the belief that they needed, or at least the kings, needed all their gold and wealth on the other side?
1: It's this kind of. Idea of, of
0: the other world being the
1: mirror image of this world, so um, it wasn't just wealth. Or, or they have the little shabti figures where they would have three hundred and sixty five servants um, per day who were, um, you know, had to be embodied in these figures in the tomb. Um, or if they were missing a hand or a finger or something, they would put a prosthetic one on them on the mummy so that they would have it in the afterlife. So um, yeah, it was, a, it was a sort of literalist interpretation. Of um, you know, what the other world is going to be like. So I th- yeah, that's that really kind of explains that that they um they had to replicate um everything in the tomb so it would be replicated in, in the other world. Uh what's interesting about that though is um it's not really that clearly reflected in the in the texts, the pyramid texts and coffin texts and things like that. They focus more on um a lot less on kind of material wealth and and opulence and more like a sort of cosmic transcendence where where the the soul of the dead joins the sun god on the on the circuit up into the sky so you ascend into the sky with the sun god and then you descend into the underworld um, where you um, encounter the corpse of the god osiris but you're also identified with osiris so it's kind of like encountering your own corpse um, as happens in an nde and and it's 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 encountering that corpse that. makes the soul realize that they've transcended death basically and that they're they've died but they're still alive and then they're able to kind of continue on the on the progression into um other parts of the afterlife world so so it's interesting that yeah as you said this there's this um you know real materialist concern for having your wealth and your and your stuff with you in the other world but um but yeah the text seem pretty different to that.
0: One of the most fascinating things I find about NDEs is when people see their body on the other side and they don't realize that it's them. They're like, who is that person or or, what's going on with that person down there? You have any thoughts on that?
1: Only, uh, only just like that. It, You know, we were saying earlier, it seems like this kind of alien repulsive thing that they don't want to get back into. Um, and it kind of maybe reflects the idea that a lot of indie ears say cross culturally and in modern ones, uh, that, you know, the afterlife is like home. It feels like they've returned to the ultimate state where they belong and it's somehow familiar to them. Um, whereas that body no longer is that, that physicality is, is not something that's appealing anymore.
0: Yeah. Some of my guests will even say that they could even care less about this prior life that they left.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, that's an interesting perspective but also that um i know a lot of them will will then kind of change and become i don't know more charitable or do charitable work or you know kind of change their um orientation in life a little bit to be better people but also have a almost detachment from it like it, it doesn't really matter that much but i'm going to do you know do better than i did um but it doesn't matter because you know there's something more profound to come i guess
0: another thing that i've seen is that sometimes at the moment maybe even at the exact moment when the guest remembers family members such as children they're immediately returned to their body
1: yeah that's a very um it corresponds a lot with the the tibetan stuff too that if you um think about some earthly thing then you're more likely to be reincarnated um, it's different than the near-death experience, but um, just going back to the idea of, um, you know, escaping this earth and and that cycle of of rebirths, um, maybe it's a similar kind of thing with near-death experience that if they um, hadn't thought about that thing at the last moment, um, the thing that they're going to miss on earth or, or the person that, that they're going to miss on earth, um, maybe they would have stayed dead and continued on to whatever... going to happen next
0: it's been a pleasure having you and before we go can you leave us with one last positive message
1: yeah i would say um regardless of what you've been taught in whatever religion you belong to or non-religion you identify with or whatever um i don't think fear of an afterlife um is borne out by near-death experiences or any of these kinds of phenomena, and I and I don't think that um, that it's something to be feared. I, I can, and I think near-death experiences are a way for people to overcome what they call toxic theology. You know, if if they're living their lives in this state of um, dread and fear about death, I think they don't really need to.
0: Dr. Shushan, thank you for that message, and thank you for being my guest. Thank you too, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast.